back to the Fireside Podcast, where our mission is to create good kingdom culture, equip the church, and glorify God. I'm Jeremiah. Mississippi in 61, they watched his daddy die. This episode is part two of our interview with Lance Schaubert, a man of many words. He would like to share a few of those words with us today in the form of a story, one that he hopes to self-publish. We will also hear Lance's thoughts concerning those dreaded curse words. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Fireside Podcast. You could tell them apart was the color of their skin. So, you have a book that is releasing here shortly? Or... Uh, well, I don't know if it'll release or okay, not. Okay. Uh, I typically, I've been doing a lot of self-publishing stuff just because it's um, really, really good. To you know, it's, a, it's an easy way to get things out there. But this particular piece, I've sold chapters uh, bit by bit. To different magazines, literary magazines. Okay. So the most recent one was to the New Haven Review, which is uh, connected with Yale University. It's part of the Institute li- Library in New, he- New Haven, uh, which was founded by um, Henry uh, Ward Beecher, I think is his name. You know, Emerson went through there and read stuff, so it was, it was pretty cool. So I'm trying to sell it traditionally, just because it's a little more literary. Hmm. And that might be, be might be better. Uh, so yeah, so it's out at the beta readers right now, and um, I'm gonna send it to an editor in July, and then I'm gonna submit it the old school way to agents, and we'll see what happens. Um, mainly because it's gonna be probably the easiest way for me to get an agent, and then I'll have probably a hybrid career moving forward, self-publishing traditional. But yeah, cool. So you want me to read it? Yeah. A, so you have a chapter you want to read for us? That'd be Sure. Great. So, okay, this novel is, I interviewed, um, so I'm guessing, are you going to break these up into like different episodes probably? Yeah, probably, yeah. Okay, good, because I just talked to more. No, so, yeah, so. no, that's fine. No, that's, I mean, it's really not. No, that's good. Like I said, okay. we were here until like 1 o'clock in the morning yesterday, so. Oh, okay, cool, great. So you're, uh, so there's you're like, not more long-winded than Jeff, so it's okay. Okay, take this, Jeff Youngblood. <laughs> I'm shorter than you. But not shorter than you, but still shorter than you. Yeah. Short never, guy. I never really thought about how short he was. Yeah, think about it. I'm mm. thinking about it now. Now, mm. is he in, an invader from like another planet? Probably. Is the real question. Yeah. So, what is the beard hiding? Mm. What are you hiding, Jeff? <laughs> you probably won't listen to this later. Uh, so, yeah, so this story is uh, it's a later chapter in a novel called Bell Hammers. I interviewed both of my grandpas for. Uh, t- over the course of two years, I bribed them with um, brunches that I made when I was back in Southern Illinois. Then I studied a bunch of books. Actually, I didn't. I got to my uh, the grandpa that just passed away in December. Um, I got to him late, so I only got to interview him like twice before he passed away. So um, had I known that, I might have changed the order. <laughs> but, uh, but he, um, you know, he gave me suggestions of some books, and I, I studied there and at the Science and Industry and Business Library under the uh, Empire State Building in New York. And so it's, it's, it's this big novel about um, Southern Illinois carpenters chasing Texaco oil out of Southern Illinois using predominantly pranks and things they build. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's mainly in the 1950s, but it goes, the whole timeline goes from 1935 to 19, or to 2000 and 13. So every chapter is a year. 
So this is 1971. The main character's name is Wilson Ramos. Everyone calls him Remy. Uh, his wife's name is Beth. His, uh, he has two kids, Bryn and Marionette. And the main kind of antagonist is a guy named Jim Johnstone. So here's Remy. That night, he fought a groundhog underneath the house. No, time out. If it's funny, go ahead and laugh. <laughs> okay. If it's not, don't. But I just want to give you permission to be loud. Okay. All right. It's not gonna. It's not gonna mess me up. So you're okay so, with this being a candid reading as well? Yeah. Be, okay. Yeah. All right. Just respond to it. However you respond to Sweet. it. So. Uh, okay. And we'll edit that out, especially the <laughs> part where I threw my shoe. <laughs> that night he fought a groundhog underneath the house. Some of the house, the newer part, had a crawl space. Technically, they had a full basement, even though it didn't uh, cover the entire floor plan, but somewhere in there, Remy heard a rumbling at around two in the morning. Beth said, Oh, God Almighty, the earth is swallowing the house. Like hell, Remy grumbled, stirring awake. I was dreaming about tournaments. No time to talk about basketball. There's a monster under there, she said. Not basketball, knights, like Sir Lancelot used to fight in. Remy! I'm going. He got to going. Nice game, yeah. Yeah, you like that? Yeah. Yeah. It's significant later. You'll never know. Underneath, you know what a fiddleback is? I don't. Okay, it's it's what people, folk in southern Illinois, uh, call uh, brown recluse spiders. Because it's got a fiddle. Oh, okay, okay, fine. On its back. Right. It's a better name than brown recluse. I I agree. Yeah, especially since part of it's yellow, so it's kind of like a brownish-yellow recluse. I mean, it's just, yeah. They just named things better. Uh, so he got to going. Underneath that fiddleback-infested crawl space, he used an old deer spotlight. You know, like hunters and the police both will use in a dark woods, one for the living and the other for the dead. At first, all Remy saw was fiddlebacks, and Remy was scared. A kid in his youth had gotten bitten by one of those one time, and it was like the living dead. It was like death itself started to rot that boy's arm off, spreading like the plague, uh, spreading like how rottle spreading a tree trunk, struck by lightning until it killed that boy. He moved past slow, scared for his life and his arms. Shining that light further, he saw one had started digging on the north side. He got over there and didn't know if the thing had dug under it, under the whole house, under the wall. He looked up there and saw gnaw marks on the floor and a bit of light where they'd started to get through to his brand new family room and oh, was he ever mad? But he wouldn't stick his hand under that hole to see. He wasn't about to have his hand eaten off by a groundhog. No, sir. He crawled back, uh, back past all them fiddleback nests with uh, struggle and uh, sweat and uh, fear and went upstairs and looked for a hand mirror, but he couldn't find one for the life of him. He looked everywhere he thought Beth might have in there. He couldn't get a mirror. Mom, he said to his wife, Beth. What? She asked and sat up in bed. Did you get it? No, he said. Well, try Do you have a hand mirror? What do I need one of those for? Lena does my hair. Damn it, he said. What? She asked. Is it a curse? Not quite, he said. Then why are you cursing? She asked. Because damn it, best, sometimes I just like to at two in the morning when beasts of the Neverworld have risen to tunnel my house. She snorted out a sigh. He said, get under there with a flashlight for me and stick your hand down in there. You must be crazy, she said. I'm saner than stainless steel. No, you're crazy, because only a crazy man wouldn't have the spine to shoulder his own curse like Adam did for Eve, asking his wife to grab hold of some monster in some pit because you got no spine yourself. Bryn, their son, was standing in the doorway eating one of Beth's peanut butter cookies, munching loudly. What the hell you want, son, Remy said. Bryn munched loudly. Oh, go on, he said. Don't let me stop you. 
You don't understand, son. Stay out of it. Bryn said, Groundhog's underneath the house. What's to understand? Yeah, well, then you can go under there with that big flashlight and stick your hand down in there and see if it's there and you can pull it out. I ain't going noodling for no groundhog, Bryn said. Then shut up and go to bed, Remy said, because it sounds like this whole house is as cowed as me. What are you going to do? Beth asked. Remy thought for a while. Bryn munched his cookie. They any good? Beth asked. Ain't none better, you know that, Bryn said. Sorry, Mark Nineswander's calling me. Mark, you're interrupting the reading. Oh, no. You'll find this out later. <laughs> they any good? Beth asked. Ain't none better, you know that, Bryn said. Beth tucked her chin and grinned like she did when she'd fished for a compliment and got what she wanted but still hadn't expected on account of the insecurity her own daddy put in her. Remy said, Hull's apple's got a pistol. I don't have a gun. 32 caliber, Bryn said. There you go. I'm leaving, she said. You'll be shooting through the floor and I ain't about to die while lying down in bed. She got out of bed and went to the closet and started pulling out clothes to get ready. I'll set up the lawn chairs, Bryn said. And he went out and started both that and a fire and got stuff for s'mores. This is the Fireside Podcast. I'd just like to put a little plug in there. there <laughs> <laughs> Bryn said, and he went out and started both that in the fire and got stuff for s'mores. The lawn chairs weren't so white and so new in those days. Now Remy went over to Hull's Apples. It's no soul's hour by that point. He starts banging on the door. Jerry comes downstairs and opens the door and shout whispers in that horse way, mad men trying to stay quiet for sleeping wives who wear the pants will do. Remy, what in God's name? Don't use his name in vain, Remy said it in normal volume. Whatever this is, it has nothing to do with my own vanity. You need a new one, Remy said. I build nice vanities. I'm a carpenter, you know, Jerry. What do you want? <laughs> Jerry shouted. Jerry didn't do too well. <clears throat> Low on sleep, you see. Jerry? Miss Olsapple called down. Oh, God, he said. You see what you went and did? I didn't shout none, Remy said. I, I wasn't the one shouting. Miss Holzapple came down in her nightie. She reminded Remy of Joe's wife standing half naked on the porch after the oil derrick fell down from heaven in the middle of the tornado all them years before. Evening, Remy. Evening, he said. Sorry, Mama Holzapple, but I got to borrow your pistol. She gasped. I have an intruder, Remy said. She gasped again. Jerry suddenly sobered and said, Come over here, come over here quick. Now, he went to the closet where he kept the guns. One of them was that sawed-off 10-gauge Remy used to own back when the boys tried to teepee his house and he'd had them teach him how to throw them rolls up in the boughs of trees like bad Halloween tinsel. Remy got rid of that shotgun because it was a double barrel, for one, and because it was a 10-gauge, for another, and because it was sawed-off for, for a third, and because for a fourth, when you combined all that with a loose and faulty hair trigger on the back and you squeeze the front trigger, the back trigger would pull off a shot as well, and you bruise your shoulder accidentally shooting both barrels at the same time. And also, because for a fifth, if you bumped it just right, the hair trigger would go off. And when it went off, it would make the front one go, so it was both barrels either way. And he didn't want that, no, sir, so he sold it cheap, hoping Jerry would use it for parts, because Jerry liked his guns. That 
sawed-off faulty 10-gauge was leaning in the closet full of buckshot when Jerry's in there rooting around for his 32 caliber pistol. Well, he bumped that shotgun and it fell down on the floor and the faulty trigger got squeezed and both barrels went off. When they went off, both boys jumped out like alley cats when they hear a wolf said Talon. That shotgun blew a three-foot round hole clean through Jerry's outer wall and luckily there's an old elm tree not too far away and it took most of the shot but a couple of them little BBs went and shattered the big bay window next door at Jim Johnstow's house and then he's up, his lights are on and he's out cussing and swearing about hooligans breaking into his house. <laughs> Some people get really tight and tense when they're scared. Some people fight. Some people flee. But some people are more tightly wound than others. Some people spend so much time running around fighting and fleeing that when something really bad happens, they go all slack like they took a morphine shot. How did that just happen? Miss Holzapple said, I asked it quite calmly. She sounded as serene as hot chamomile tea. If it can happen, Jerry said, it'll happen to Remy. That sounds dark, she said. Guy named Moore wrote a law about it. He said, what can happen will happen. But that's both the bad and the good, Remy said. Not just the bad that can happen will happen, the good that can happen will too. And if you happen upon bad things like tonight, and in that moment you choose to happen, your good on them bad things, more good than bad will happen in the end. I don't think I understand, Miss Holzapple said. Sure it does, Jerry said. It, it, it shh, shh, Miss Holzapple said. Let's go cheer on Remy. Remy loaded up the gun and marched out the last night in the world, striding face first into the dark of the last night in the world. And before long, the whole neighborhood is standing around Bryn's fire in the front yard, cooking s'mores and talking about baseball and sipping hot toddies and watching and cheering while everyone except some of the Texaco folk as Remy, armed, crawls under the house with a pistol to chase the monster out. He crawled alongside the fiddlebacks. And he stopped and looked at one of them, one of them dangling like it was about to drop on his nose, and he felt his heart set to patter, and the good Lord said, Remy, have you seen the fiddleback giving birth to its young? No, Lord. He felt the good Lord smiling. Above him, that fiddleback started attaching eggs to its little cobweb, and then Remy saw all them egg sacs up above that it had already laid. Did you know that each egg sack of a fiddleback has somewhere between 31 and 300 baby spiders inside? Well, they started hatching just then, and the floor of his house, which was now the roof over his head, started boiling with baby spiders, just boiling and roiling. Remy was sweating. He said, but people used to worship spiders, Lord. They're not gods. I am. I want to squash them all. They're not demons either. They're not even death. They have my spirit of life in them, Remy. Remy looked at that spider again, threatening to fall upon him. Sister Fiddleback, he said, I pray you be patient with me as I pass. He moved through unmolested. There at the north side, he shined that light down into that hell hole again and saw them yellow eyes, plenty of them. He pointed his gun down in there. The good Lord said, Remy! Remy's hand shook on the pistol. Have you ever seen how pretty a groundhog can be when it digs? No, Lord, now's not the time! <laughs> Seeing as how you're aiming that death cannon at it, I... Think at high time. They look like the swimming, Remy. I made them that a ways. Remy aimed his gun. They're just doing how I made them to do. Digging through my house? Remy asked. Your house I gave you. I built it, Remy said, with hands I gave you, with a mind that received my gift of consciousness, with lungs that got my breath in them, and with wood that came from the stock of trees my spirit told grow. Tell me, which of these things did not come from the very dirt these groundhogs live and move in? Remy didn't have no answer for that. He wanted to ignore the good Lord and put a bullet in these things and then go to bed. 
especially with half the town cheering him on just outside the cinder blocks. Remy, ah oh, shit, he said, can I just wound him a little? What you do is your choosing, but they're as much mine as you, you do well to remember that. I'm gonna wound him, he said. <laughs> he pulled off a shot and he missed all four of them. And his ears went ringing, and them crazy-ass groundhogs came out, and they clawed at his face and his arms, and scared out of their mind, they went running all over that crawl space, and he started shooting at them left and right, and missed, my God, he was a horrible shot with a 32 caliber pistol, and he shot holes all through his family room floor, which hit pictures and books and things up above, not the least of which was the grandfather clock John David had made them as an anniversary present from the benches of pews from Young's Chapel, where they'd been married somehow, some way, Remy reloaded, wounded too, and then they ran off never came back <laughs> he came out bloodied and beaten and wounded as the groundhogs oh my god Beth said let's fix you up the men cheered the women covered the mouths the children looked at his bloody face in horror Remy was down for days and then he had to get to work repairing both Jerry's wall and Jim Johnstone's window during which Jim's wife flew the whole can't stop and rest her down and we know what to do but running through the door well, he sees the eyes of a man And his daddy's washing blood out of a sheep But it won't come off his hand And the blood still runs down Cherokee Highway It's a senseless river and it's filled with all they share Two dark sides to Cherokee Highway Black over white, the blood still runs red. <laughs> oh man, that was great. Hopefully, I didn't peek out too much. Nah, you're, you're fine. Man, I always mess with that. Word is I'll make so, yeah, the white man pay. Uh, seems like he has some relationships with some workers. Yeah, well, I saw, I saw a gif not too long ago about that. It's like, uh, yeah. Accuracy and consistency. Yes. <laughs> Stormtroopers, remarkably consistent, terribly inaccurate. Right, you know, like, exactly. Oh, yeah. Cluster shots, you know, five feet from the bullseye. Right. Yeah, just like that. So, cool. Yeah, so I noticed that uh, you had some cursing in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what well, did you notice? The, the pushback, though, right? So it's like, why are you cursing? Is it a right, curse? Right, right. Uh, yeah, so. Um, you get this a lot in, you know, like New Yorkers think this is weird, even Christian New Yorkers, that this is even a conversation piece in the Midwest. But I think they get it a little more. But, <laughs> you know, people, people in the Midwest always ask, like, well, I don't like that. It's got curse words in it. I don't think people realize how many curse words are in the Bible. Hmm. For one, let's take it at its literal face value, curses, like words that are curses, curse words. Hmm. Like that's where it comes from. Why are you cussing? It's just a slang term for curse. There's entire psalms that are like invocational curses. Like basically calling down demons to like invade someone else's home. Like dash their babies against the rocks. That is a curse. Mm. Genesis 3. Those are curse words. So for one, we got to start with the fact that like curse words are the way that we deal with evil. You know, and it's it's our way of saying, 
Uh, we want justice to be done. I was wrong, we want justice to be done. You know, when you stub your toe and you curse, pain hurts. Right, <laughs> right. I want justice. It's not fair that I stub my toe. <laughs> uh, now, cursing the chair, I don't know if, uh, I don't know if it's the chair's fault. Um, so the first thing I ask is if it's literal curse words, if you're actually calling down damnation on someone, which is the, that's the funniest thing is when church people won't say hell and damn, which are like, the, I mean, those are, you, you can't even teach the basic creeds without those words, you know? <laughs> so my first thing is like, well, who, you, who, who are you cursing? You know, and, and the call to bless, bless and do not curse. Um, and Moses reading, you know, bless words and curse words. You know, back when actually half the nation got to read all the curse words and then the other half got to read none of them. You know, they got to read all the blessings at the, the mountains. You know what I'm talking about? Where they, right. the call and response, liturgy. Um, so start there. Uh, did the thing you curse deserve it? You know, and she kind of calls him out on that. Is it a curse? Why are you cursing? Because I like to. <laughs> But I like to, why? When beasts of the netherworld have risen to tunnel my house. So really what he needs to be uh, cursing is the fact that his house is suffering from entropy. Mm. Might not even be the groundhog's fault. Like, like the good Lord says at the end of the chapter, you know, they're, they're just doing how I made them to do. What's frustrating is that the, the two creatures are at war with one another from the fall. Um, and they both, you know, they both leave wounded and still alive, you know. So both of their lives are, their lives are decreased. And even his neighbors suffer from it, you know. Kind of just radiates out. Um, so that's, that's, that's a piece of it. I would start there. But th there's, other, there's other things, you know, like uh, Jesus is called a bastard, you know. So is Saul. Um, and that's the, that's the appropriate word for Jesus if he's not the son of God. If he wasn't miraculously conceived and married, they, they were perfectly justified in using that word. Uh, now it's mean, it's cruel, uh, but why does it exist? It exists because sex outside of marriage is a broken thing. Now, can God redeem that? Yeah, sure. And should the kid suffer for that? No. Again, what are we trying to curse? We're trying to curse the sin, not the child. Mm -hmm. Child isn't an inconvenience, you know. What about Jesus? You know, tell that tell that female fox, Herod. I mean, that's the that's the B word in his language. And it's an appropriate word for Herod because he has all this power and yet he's acting like a coward. He's acting like, um, you know, a roosting female fox who's, you know, back up or Paul's use of scubalon. There's not really a word to translate that into other than, uh, you know, other than the S word because that carries the kind of visceral meaning when he says, I count all of these things that, you know, like I count my PhD, I count my 401k, I count my 17 grandchildren, I count it all shit mm. that I might know Christ Jesus. He's saying, by comparison, this is a curse. By comparison, this is, this is Gehenna, this is the trash heap, this is hell. Mm. By comparison to knowing Jesus, because everything else pales in his light. And I think that's perfectly appropriate. You know, which is why the an apostle uses it, you know, over and over again. Now, uh, so what ends up happening is, on the one hand, you have Christians who will never use curse words. And then, uh, so they, they don't use them often enough, uh, which means that they do kind of the Thomas Kincaid thing, which is not 
not acknowledging sin and brokenness in the world that that should that that curse things then you have christians that use them way too much and it's because they don't they just use them kind of using it their freedom as a cover-up for evil right and they don't like this this story in part one of the themes of the story is what is a curse and where does it result from you need to know why you're using a word and and that's very important to me. To be, I, I'm very intentional. If I if I use a cuss word, I'm very intentional with when and where and who and and how and why. Um, there's a great article by C.S. Lewis, uh, who cussed all the time, but only in specific situations, uh, especially in like that hideous strength, which there are demons cursing, you know, Edgestoke College, all throughout that book. Um, so it makes sense, you know. He's got an article in his selected literary essays called Four Letter Words. And it's about words that I haven't used in any of my fiction that, that Chaucer used. Chaucer was a Christian, but he was calling down curses on the church at the time because it needed to, needed to change. And uh, that's not only perfectly appropriate, it's actually good. It's a good thing to do if you're using it to call out brokenness. Uh, and his point is, and he lists, I mean, like hard C's, hard F's, you know, like that Chaucer used. And Lewis is sitting here saying, when does he use them? Almost every time these, use, these words are used, they are used in satire. They are used to critique something. They are used in terms of prophecy, using symbolic symbols to critique other symbols. And so when you evaluate that and then you have someone who's trying to write high literature, who's someone who's trying to evoke wonder and joy, use a cuss word, that's the exact opposite. Because it's a shortcut. You're using a crass word for a thing, you know, right. whether it's profanity, blasphemy, and um, yeah, you're using a, a, a lesser term to describe a higher term. So unless you're doing satire, unless you're actually critiquing something or, or, or cursing something that's broken, don't use it because the point of literature is to uh, come at something sideways. Mm. So why would you use, for instance, that really harsh, crass word for that body part when you could evoke so much more emotion by writing sideways around it? Mm -hmm. You know, generally the, the, th the thing is, yeah, don't use three words when one will do, unless you're writing a poem or a story, you know? Um, point is to demonstrate and prove a point without explaining it. Cuss words are, they are the most crass explanations of, of things possible. It's one word explanations. Um, works, works for satire, works for cursing broken things, doesn't work for, you know, um, for illuminating thought. And so I think learning that would help people a lot. Most people get there because they have this really weird kind of 1930s interpretation of the third commandment which is don't use the Lord's name in vain, which, you know, kind of my own vanity. Right, right. right? You know, he diverts that, you know, well, you need, you need vanities, nice. You know, I can build nice ones. <laughs> he says that, and, and the other guy pushes back. He pushes back because God actually was in it, you know, and, and he was saying it wasn't, and that's what it means. You know, essentially saying God's in something he's not. People do this all the time. People break the third commandment who don't cuss all the time because they'll pray over you and say, God's just telling you to, you know, 
blankety blankety blank and and tell you all this stuff that I think I think God just really wants me to just like punch you in the teeth. He just really the Holy Spirit's just really telling me that I just need to cut you down with really harsh words. He just really wants you to know that you need to stop writing music and go get a day job. He just really you know like whatever it is. That's breaking the third commandment over and over again. It's tag it's spray painting God's name on something that He's not in, mm-hmm. or at least isn't in in a in a, in a volitional sense. I mean, right. certainly his pre- you know his presence is sustaining it, but but in an act you know that He's not in. So it's really funny because you'll have people get so worked up about profanity and blasphemy when they're like blaspheming the Holy Spirit, you know, saying the Holy Spirit is is present on death row or. You know, or something like this, or in a particular election, or you know, these all sorts of things. It's just like really, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think knowing that, knowing that the third commandment is actually, or yeah, third commandment mm-hmm. is actually an indictment against hypocrisy, is what it is. You know, saying one thing and then doing another, or saying God's in something that He's not, uh, actually frees us up because uh, then we realize what's a blessing, what's a curse. Um, we can we can move forward looking for God in life situations and actually helping him give wisdom for for the language that we use and when and how that's hard that's hard for people because they you know they a lot of this is a taught theology it's ingrained theology from their parents 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 you know going right. way back and certainly unwholesome talk plays into this you know are you tearing someone down with your words i know i know church people never cuss that are some of the most Visceral, they're like the you know Dowager Countess from Downton Abbey, just tear mm-hmm. you down. Uh, that's cursing, and if you're doing that to somebody that didn't actually break one of God's commands and isn't causing death, that's way worse. Yeah, that's way worse than any one letter, four-letter word that you could ever ever say. It's infinitely worse. And then the, as far as the blasphemy thing goes, that's actually an indicator for me of an atheist. I need to kind of spend more time with. Chesterton said that blasphemy is actually a function of belief. And if anyone doubts that, let him seriously try to blaspheme Odin. Mm. Um, I mean, you're basically talking about, like, you know, you're, you're giving words power when you don't need to give them power. You know, that's kind of what we, my wife yeah. and I teach our kids. Like, uh, power is, you know, words only have as much power to give them. So, uh, you know, if, if they're going to be growing up and they hear this word, I mean, we're not going to make it a big deal uh, because that just makes it. Like, oh, you can't say this word anymore. It's like, well, no. Like, we'll talk through it and say, like, you know, you sure. don't say these things in certain situations, obviously, because people don't like it. And you and you want to love people. Like, yeah. you want to love them as best as you can. Sure. And so, yeah. I mean, that's that's what we've decided on teaching our kids. But, yeah, Absolutely. definitely words have as much power as you give them is, is kind of what we landed on. And Sure. Yeah. Well, I would never I would never cuss in a sermon. Right. Yeah, exactly. But, and, and part of that is audience. But a lot of that is it's it's in the Catholic Church that's one of the seven main sacraments you know like or I think preaching is one of the well maybe not maybe not I think it is um, well it certainly is in the Restoration Church <laughs> they, they don't call it that they treat it like that so yeah I mean I, you know that's a, kind of a special sacrament in some ways um, but I also have a sacramental view of the world so I believe God's in language and language is a living thing so mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't ever want to be the kind of person that's cussing, cursing people all the time who didn't deserve it, who have, you know, like grace is far more interesting, mm-hmm. far more interesting, far, far harder to live out 
to evoke wonder in other people, uh, to let them discover their own ignorance over and over and over again and realize, oh, I, didn't, I just didn't know that this year. Learn something new. That's way more fun than, uh, than using a swear word. Typically when I use it in, in stories, it's someone who's uh, really struggling with something, you know? It's very rare that I'll use it in anything outside of a story. And the, and the reason is, I am the author of that world. I am the author of those characters' lives. I'm a sub-creator. And God created a world in which people cuss. Mm-hmm. So if you really have a problem with it, you probably need to deal with <laughs> why God created a world in which people cuss right. in the first place. And that'll take you... That'll take you into some deeper philosophy that, you know, if you're healthy, you'll come out the other side having a good category for it. And if you're not, you'll end up an atheist and then it won't matter anyways. <laughs> if you are interested in seeing more of Lance's work and learning more about he and Tara's mission in New York, please visit his website at lanceshaubert.org. He would also like to inform you that the digital workshop mentioned at the end of our last episode is not happening anymore. Instead, this idea has been turned into a two-week live online conference entitled Make Jesus Culture. To learn more, you can visit www.makejesusculture.com or contact Lance directly from his site. As always, we want to direct you to thefiresidecommunity.com where you will find previous episodes of the podcast, videos, and articles that have been contributed by our growing community. You will also find links to our various forms of social media, so please like, follow, subscribe, and share as it helps us moving forward. One last thing, if you feel that you would like to be a part of our community and contribute in some way, please contact us. Links to everything will be provided in the show notes. Once again, thank you for listening to the Fireside Podcast. And black over white, the blood still runs red.